Notably absent from Governor Kathy Hochul's push this year to increase the availability of affordable housing in New York was any significant commitment to subsidies that help low-income New Yorkers afford their monthly living expenses. This omission is particularly striking since it's been about 20 years since the state increased the maximum public assistance shelter allowance, meaning an important housing program has been getting less and less effective every single year. And a new report from the Empire Justice Center argues that it's well past time to address the inadequacies of the shelter allowances and rental supplements in New York. So we're going to talk about this issue with two of the report's authors, including Jessica Radboard, a senior benefits attorney at the Empire Justice Center's Albany office. Welcome back to the show, Jessica. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined by Haley Kulikowski, a public benefits attorney at the Empire Justice Center's Rochester office. Thanks for joining us, Haley. Thank you. We're excited to be here. So for starters, what exactly is the state's public assistance shelter allowance program? For example, how long has it been around for? What's it intended to do? And who is it designed to serve? So public assistance provides support in the form of a monthly benefit to extremely low income and no income New Yorkers to help them pay for basic needs. Over half a million New Yorkers receive public assistance. This program has taken shape in various forms throughout the years. And recently we've seen it in the form of family assistance and safety net assistance, which are the two programs that we mostly talk about throughout the report. Really what we're getting through at this report is just how low this public assistance grant is. For instance, in Albany, if a parent isn't able to work due to illness, needs to support their kids, it's about $698 per month. Public assistance we have today is very different from the public assistance of the past. When New York State first passed the Child Welfare Act back in 1915, we can see from the New York City report from 1916 on the program that public assistance benefits were, in today's dollars, around $4,344 a month for a family of five. Now that's down to a thousand. Why? Why did they set them at that value back in 1916? Because they recognized that people needed to be able to meet their basic needs and to be able to have a decent place to live. And over the course of time, we've just seen those benefits not keep up with inflation. They haven't kept up with the cost of housing. So, for instance, even in 2003, the last time the rent component of a public assistance grant was increased, we saw that rather than looking at what it costs to rent a a decent home, a home that's in good condition, doesn't have housing code violations, uh, from what we can tell from the records we were able to receive, it looks like the state was looking at the cheapest 1% of units in barely passable condition in the cheapest of cheap zip codes in every county, that doesn't do anything to affirmatively further fair housing or to give people an opportunity to live in a place where there are more jobs. And since then, since 2003, the last time that the shelter allowance was amended, we've seen rents double. And even more than double in some areas of the state, there really is no place to go for a family or individual who's relying on the public assistance shelter allowance. 
And what's been going on in terms of the rental assistance component of the state's public assistance since the 2003 establishment of rates? Has the state been reviewing the benefit and trying to assess what makes sense in terms of meeting the needs of New Yorkers, or have they just not touched this topic in the ensuing 20 years? Well, every five years, administrative rules like this rent allowance for people on public assistance come up for re-review. And in the past, when it came up for re-review, the agency said, we still think this is adequate. That leaves me scratching my head because when I look at the data, and we've got the data down to every single zip code, what do apartments cost? There are simply no units that are priced at or below the public assistance shelter allowance. Just to, just to highlight how low this thing is, for a single person in New York City, I think it's around $218 a month, you can't even rent a storage unit for that price. Here in Albany, where I am, it's $309 for a family of three. There are no apartments at that price. The good news is that this rule, what the public assistance shelter allowance should be for all the districts all across the state, is up for re-review right now. So the the rule um, was put in the state register. Uh, January of 2023, there was an opportunity to provide public comment on that, and lots of folks did put in public comment saying this rule just doesn't make sense. And we expect that we'll probably see a new rule or the same thing around January of 2024. And when it comes to setting this rate for the shelter allowance, Does the Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance have some sort of guidelines that it needs to follow that are set in law in terms of trying to establish an allowance that is reflective of market rates? Or do they have wide latitude and thus that's why the rate has been allowed to stagnate so much in the last two decades? As we talk about in our report, for families with kids, by law, the shelter allowance is supposed to be adequate. So it's supposed to be enough for you to be able to rent a decent apartment. And for households who don't have children, it still needs to make sense. This is just a general tenet of administrative law that rules aren't supposed to be totally arbitrary and irrational. And I just don't see how these rules make sense when we know there are literally no apartments in the private market outside of federally subsidized housing that you can get at rates this low. Well, yeah, you mentioned the rates for families with kids. And in 2021, the governor signed legislation that would bring the maximum rent for the state family homelessness and eviction prevention supplement to 100 percent of the fair market rent in New York City. In your analysis, have you found that that law has had any impact in this conversation, specifically in the five boroughs? We actually focus on the rest of the state and Empire Justice Center, and that's what our report focuses on. But our understanding is that, yes, the FEPS program does make a huge difference. It's actually up to 110% of the fair market rent right now because rents have been increasing so quickly in so many areas of the state. It, it did make sense for them to go above the FMR. So then is the answer from state legislators to pass something like this 2021 
2021 legislation, but have it apply to the rest of the state? I think the 2021 legislation that you're talking about might also include the rental supplement program that we talk about in our report. So since 2021, that's a program that's been funded at $100 million per year. And uh, around two thirds of that does go to New York City to fund their supplement programs and the rest is for the rest of the state. And that funds supplements up to 100% of the fair market rent, which is a rate determined by HUD to be what it costs to rent an apartment in decent condition. And the state covers 85% of that cost. And the districts can pay the remaining balance of the 15%. Unfortunately, what we've seen from that program in the rest of the state outside of New York City is that so far, only 419 households on public assistance have been able to benefit from that program. So it's a good step in the right direction, but we're not seeing the supplement programs that exist do enough to fill the massive gap between the public assistance shelter allowance, which is on its own supposed to be adequate, and the actual cost of rent. And what about access to these programs, whether it is the general shelter assistance program or those supplement programs, does the state need to do something to address some of the barriers, whether it's uh, time limits or some sort of awareness of these programs or just the the basic due process protections involved in accessing them? So as part of the public assistance process, there is kind of a rigorous application and verification process that families are required or individuals are required to do to be able to access these programs. And often it can be very burdensome on folks. We've also been dealing with and the issue of delays. And we've seen that across the counties in multiple counties that they're required to be approving or denying these applications in certain time periods and they have not been doing so. It can also be very burdensome on families who are desperately awaiting the funds that they need to be able to get back on their feet. And just to be clear here, you have to be in profoundly deep poverty or have no income whatsoever to be able to qualify for these programs. So for example, an applicant in New York City uh, who's got two kids has to have earnings below $9,468 per year to qualify for public assistance at all. You can make a little bit more money once you get on the program, but to get these benefits at all, these benefits, which are so low, for that family of three that's making less than $9,468 a year to be able to get the benefits, right? The maximum benefit amount is going to be $789 a month. What you're going to see is that a lot of really, really low income people or people who are just getting, you know, a decent amount of child support, they're not even going to qualify because you have to be so profoundly low income to get these benefits at all. So that in and of itself is a big barrier to access that you have to be so profoundly destitute to qualify for any help whatsoever. Well, what do you think the threshold should be for receiving some sort of housing subsidy? We live in one of the richest countries in the world. No one, in my opinion, should have to be out on the street or be going hungry. Everyone should have a roof over their head. How else do you take care of all your other basic needs. Benefits should be adequate so that people can meet their basic needs and have a decent place to live. We already have a good established measure of what it costs to get that decent place to live, which is 
the Department of Housing and Urban Development's fair market rents, or you know, in some circumstances, the higher payment standard that's used in certain areas where the market is particularly tricky, like the 110% that is used in New York City, for instance. And after a quick break, we'll have more on the state's shelter allowance system with the Empire Justice Center. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our discussion about housing assistance in New York State, and our guests are Jessica Radbord, a senior benefits attorney at the Empire Justice Center in Albany, and Haley Kulikowski, a public benefits attorney at the Empire Justice Center's Rochester office. So thinking about a future where New York provides some sort of housing assistance to every New Yorker who's in jeopardy of being homeless— What is the price tag, at least initially, not thinking about the long-term savings, but initially, what are the costs of getting something like that up and running? I think there's no doubt that it's going to be expensive, but we're already paying the cost of not doing what we need to do to make sure that uh, people can meet their housing costs. Do we want to be spending billions of dollars on our homelessness response Or do you want to provide people with the assistance that they need to have an actual home? We mentioned the homeless response costing billions of dollars. So is there an estimate that this type of proactive housing would cost billions of dollars? It is, but I think it's worth it. What sort of community do we want to live in? Do we want to live in communities where we don't have homelessness or do we want to live in communities where there are people in just this chronic state of being without and living in shelters potentially for years or living in motels or hotels for months at a time, kids living in cars? What's really so special about New York State is that in our state constitution, We set forth a commitment to provide aid and care for the needy. And right now our safety net system is broken and we need to fix it. Yes, it's going to cost money, but it is worth it. And are you agnostic about where the money might come from? Is this something where you think the federal government has a responsibility to step in? Or is this something that the state could and should be funding on its own? I think it would be great if there were more federally subsidized housing, like public housing, except for my hope would be when we build public housing this time around, as opposed to when the program first started, that we're making sure that projects are given sufficient funding so that they can be built well and those that housing is decent. I also think it would be great if the federal government put more money into tenant-based rental assistance, like Section 8 vouchers. But at the end of the day, This is a problem that has to get fixed. And if the federal government isn't going to do it, the state needs to do it. And in terms of the practical administration of something like this, would you like to change how these payments are made? For example, in your report, there is anecdote about payments going directly to a landlord. Would you like to see that dynamic changed up? Public assistance generally can go to a tenant. What happens a lot of the time is that when the tenant falls behind on their rent, 
they have to agree to have rent payments go to their landlord moving forward. One way or another, we just think that the rental assistance provided has to be enough for people to be able to rent a decent place to live. I mean, I can give you a story of what it's actually like for folks out there. I was talking to a, a client last week and she knows that if this eviction case that's been filed against her goes through, she's going to end up homeless. Right now, her entire public assistance grant comes straight to her landlord at $780 a month. And there is just no place that is that cheap. There is no place that she can find. And what's, what's just so frustrating about it is that this is a person who has a job lined up that would be more than enough for her to be able to pay her rent on her own if only she could find childcare. There's this thing that's beyond her control of not being able to find childcare that's available at the hours that coincide with when she's supposed to be at work. And so instead she's gonna end up homeless, which costs you know, over $3,000 a month if a person ends up in a, a motel or a hotel. Uh, that just doesn't make any sense. If the state was to provide a housing subsidy that was reflective of fair market rents, would that be just another incentive for landlords who rent to people receiving subsidies to artificially boost their rents? I think that's a really interesting question, you know, and I, I do think we need to build more affordable housing so that there isn't that kind of incentive. But for the immediate needs that we have right now, because housing development does take time, I think it does make sense to do as we were proposing in our in our report, which is increasing the shelter allowance for folks on public assistance, providing rental assistance um, to those who are, aren't on that program. And typically when someone gets that form of rental assistance, the property that they're going to be renting gets inspected to make sure that it actually comports with housing quality standards. And so hopefully we would see improvements in these properties so that we don't have tenants living in places with lead paint that can poison their kids or mold that can make them sick. What is a long-term potential answer to have the government get more involved in the landlord business, for lack of a better expression, as opposed to sending government subsidies to private building owners? Could it potentially be cheaper if we had more government housing? I think I think that's a really interesting question. Our report is really focused on the public assistance shelter allowance. Uh, but I do think that, of course, we do want to see more affordable housing being developed. Um, and that, you know, like I said, can take a significant amount of time to do. So in the meantime, we, we think that this is a really critical and much needed solution to the problems that we're seeing right now. And another thing that I think is worth noting is that most of the subsidized housing that's getting built now is tax credit housing. And tax credit housing definitely does not have a rent of zero. So even if you do have more affordable housing, people still need some income to be able to pay for that. And so we still need to make the changes to public assistance, even if we are building more affordable housing. Well, finally, in terms of shelter allowance rates moving forward, if, for example, Governor Hochul proposes in her budget in January to fund rates at some sort of meaningful level, 
would you also want to see language codifying rates or setting up some sort of protection moving forward? Or is it enough just to have the governor make some sort of meaningful investment in her budget? I think something that we've talked about when we're talking about what we'd like to see the shelter allowance be increased to and how necessary it is, is we're thinking about how it needs to be able to keep up with uh, inflation and rising housing costs. And I think that's something that we're dealing with the consequences of now when it hasn't been increased since 2003, and yet we know that rents have doubled. And so I think moving forward, we're hoping to see a solution that can keep up with with inflation and rising housing costs and that this isn't a problem that gets pushed off years and years and years until um, finally the state can't afford to do so any longer. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this conversation. I want to thank our guests, Jessica Radboard, a senior benefits attorney at the Empire Justice Center. Jessica, thank you so much. Thank you. And we've also been speaking with Haley Kulikowski, a public benefits attorney at the Empire Justice Center's Rochester office. Thank you, Haley. Thank you. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.